You are listening to a message by Travis Scott from our gatherings at Shorebreak. Visit shorebreakchurch.com to get connected with more content. And if you would like to support the gospel being preached in Kona and to thousands online, your tax-deductible donation enables us to further Jesus' mission. Partner with us by giving at shorebreakchurch.com backslash give. Mahalo. Well, hey, good morning and welcome to church. Why don't you guys turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Make your way over to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. I got a frog in my throat, so you're going to have to deal with me clearing it out every once in a while, just giving you the heads up. So it's not like I'm trying to gross you out, and I know some of you maybe just had breakfast, but um, I love you guys enough to tell you that. So it is nice to see you back, not going to lie. Last week was rough. Um, Talking about the fear of God uh, in some circles with some Christians never goes super well, but, um, and if you have no idea what I'm talking about, we know you weren't here last week, so we would encourage you to join us um, every Sunday as we are going through books of the Bible, but if you weren't able to make it, you can always go to shorebreakchurch.com, go to shorebreakchurch.com, and there you can listen to the previous uh, message from last Sunday. Um, If you want extra content, we have all of our teachings available Online at Shorebre- uh, online through iTunes, so you can subscribe to our podcast via iTunes and hear all of what we talk about there. And so, I would encourage you to listen to that message. I think it is something that does need to be um, taught more often in many churches. And so, um, before we get into the book of Ecclesiastes, I wanted to uh, make a quick announcement and wanted to share with you guys some things that are happening within the church. We uh, are really doing a lot of work trying to improve this church from the ground up. And one of those areas where we really kind of rebroke the foundation and start restarted from afresh, building the ministry from the bottom up, is our Cakey ministry. And that's Shorebreak Cakey. And we love our kids. We love Cakey. And the reason why we do Cakey is uh, multiple reasons. For one, we are able to share the gospel at a kid's level. Um, I've seen you guys. Every once in a while, some of you will start doing the head nod, the bob, right? You knock out. I see it. How do we expect a five-year-old to last through an hour-long sermon? Those of you who are new here, you're like, this is an hour long? Yes, it is. Welcome. Um, I should have run out when I had the chance. But uh, nonetheless, though... um, if, if you fall asleep, a five-year-old nonetheless, I don't know if they're going to last. So we're able to teach the gospel to them at their age level, at their level of comprehension. So for one, um, that is why we do that. Two, it creates an atmosphere and environment of here with a little bit less distraction. Though, Keiki are allowed more than welcome to join us in this service as well. We have that for them. And so <clears throat> all that to say, we're working on new curriculum. Um, we're, new leadership has taken over. We have a new intern director. She is doing a fantastic job. Um, kids are learning about Jesus every Sunday and learning about the Bible. And so, for one, if you have a keiki, um, you are more than welcome to check them in. We have them available for, for both services. In addition to that, we need more volunteers. Yeah, I'm talking to you. So if you're a single guy, there are single girls who work in the keiki. And if you don't have a date, that might be one way. Just giving you some ideas, all right? 
If you are married, that doesn't count for you, but you are more than welcome to join with your wife, as some couples do, in serving and caking. And it's awesome. Jesus never pushed children away, nor should we. And so we want to be a place and a church and a body who welcomes children, especially at their age group. So we have nursery. I don't know, I don't know the, the maximum age group, but I think it's, I don't know it. But um, it's some, it's, oh, you can find out later. All that to say, please sign up. Please be a part of it. Uh, we provide training. We provide the means for you to help. You can, we need people who will sub. Whenever someone's not able to make it, they call in sick or they're on vacation or whatever, you can fill in that spot. Uh, in addition to that, if you can be an assistant teacher, you can work in the nursery, you can be a teacher. We would love for you to join us. And the great thing about having two services is you can serve on a Sunday and be fed on a Sunday all at the same time. So single guy, single girl, married, older, younger, please, by all means, sign up to be a part of of cakey and it's exploding let me tell you i mean we have tons of cakey in there and i wouldn't be making this announcement if we didn't need help there so hopefully some of you who are kind of sitting on the fence maybe thinking about being involved with that would love for you to join us in that hopefully you've made your way to ecclesiastes chapter five we got a lot of ground to cover today if we didn't get too far, we would be in Ecclesiastes till Jesus came back or till we died, whatever comes first. So we do need to uh, make some advancements here. We're going to pick it up in verse 8. We're going to go all the way to chapter 6, a little past chapter 6. But this is the word of God. It is inspired, infallible, perfect, and alive. And so we make no apologies for reading a lot of the Bible. We're going to pick it up in verse 8. Of Ecclesiastes 5. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter, for the high official is watched by a higher, and yet there are higher ones over them. Everyone in the corporate world says, Amen. But this is gain for a land in every way. A king committed to cultivate fields. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. When goods increase, they increase to those who eat them. But what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats a little or much, but full of the stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And a father of a son, but who has nothing in his hand, as he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again. Naked he came and shall take nothing for his toil, all that he may carry away in his hand. This is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils And the wind, moreover, all his days he eats and drinks in darkness and much vexation in sickness and in anger. Behold, I have seen to be good and fitting is to to eat and drink and find enjoyment and all the toil with which one toils under the sun for the few days of life God has given him for this is his lot. 
Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and to rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life, but God kept, keeps him occupied with the joy of his heart. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavily on mankind. A man whom God gives wealth and possessions and honor so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him the power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. That's depressing. If a man, if a man's father, if a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, so that the days of so that days of his years are many, but his toil is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial. I say that a stillborn child is better off than he, for it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it is not seen. The son or knows anything, yet he finds rest more than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to one place. All the toil of man is for, for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. Whatever is come to be has already been named. And it is known what man is. And that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity and what, advan- ad- what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for man while he lives in the few days of his life, which he passes like a shadow? For who can tell man what will be, af- what will be after him under the sun? Lord, as we are covering your word this morning, and as we are unpacking a lot of verses. First, Jesus, would you be glorified? Jesus, would we see you this morning as God? And there are rival gods that we build and erect within our own hearts that compete against you, one of which we are talking about this morning. So Lord, would you give me the grace, the conviction, and the words through you, Holy Spirit, to be faithful to what you've said in the scriptures? And would you give us ears to hear? Would we be a people who listen because you have spoken and you've spoken through your perfect and holy word? May we be a people who walk out differently than we came in this morning, transformed by the gospel, focused on you and not on ourselves. So Lord, you tell us that you will give us wisdom as we are reading wisdom literature We ask for wisdom. We ask for understanding. We pray that we would truly be sanctified, set apart, holy for every good work that you have planned before us. Thank you for every single person that is in this church this morning. 
May we all have an encounter of you, Jesus. And it's in your precious name we pray. Amen. So our man Solomon, our bra Solomon here, is the king of Israel. He is the preacher. He is the son of David, and he is one of the wisest men to ever live. He is on a search for meaning. He is on a search for purpose, and no rock is left unturned. He takes the rock of pleasure, unturns that, finds vanity there. He takes the rock of work, unturns work, and there is vanity. He takes the rock of partying. Yes, believe it or not, he partied, and he partied better than any of us ever will with fifteen to 20,000 people, and that too, after being wasted long enough, and after having fifteen to 20,000 people over nightly for parties, Overturn that rock, vanity there, vanity was waiting for him there as well. So whether it be through control or work or vanity after indulging in all of these things, our preacher here in Ecclesiastes is declaring vanity. And vanity means meaningless. It's all pointless. There is no point to anything that we do under the sun. And I believe our preacher here would agree with what C.S. Lewis said. Talking about your pursuit, talking about my pursuit of trying to find meaning and purpose in life, C.S. Lewis said this. Human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. If there is one object and all of life that you and I desire to make us happy, that somehow, if we get enough of this object, we will be satisfied. That object is money. It is money. Now, money is actually something we've never talked about in the short life of this church. We're a little over a year and a half old, so it's the first time we've ever talked about it. And depending on your church background, some of you are like looking left and right, like, all right, where are the ushers? How many, how many offerings are we going to take right now? Is there going to be a pie chart on stage? You're like, all right, guys, come on, you got to give. We got to rally. We got to do this fundraiser. You can do it. Come on. Not happening. So don't freak out. That's, this is not that type of a church. But when it comes to money, a lot of us bring different baggage. A lot of us bring different understandings. And so what we want to do this morning is understand as a people, as a church, what the Bible has to say about money. Not what necessarily pastors alone say, because there are pastors who do take multiple offerings and do things for their own glory, do things for their own purpose. But what about money then? Well, to start, there is nothing intrinsically wicked or evil about money. Yeah, but the love of money is the root that leads to all kinds of evil. Well, we'll get there. That's not exactly what is said. Money is morally neutral. It is not wicked and it is not righteous. It's just money. Money can be a tool or money can be a weapon. Think of a rock. Is a rock bad or is it good? Well, I don't know. Well, a rock can be good if you use it to build the foundation of a home, a tool. But a rock can also be bad if you use that 
chuck it through a car window to steal someone's purse. Bad. It's amoral. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's evil or it doesn't necessarily mean that it's good. Money is no different. Money can be a helpful tool that can be used for blessing. And money can be the very thing that can be the destruction of someone's own soul. Money can buy you a home. And money can ruin your marriage. Money can be used to adopt a needy child. And money can be used to pay in sex trafficking. And what a preacher is doing for us in Ecclesiastes this morning, as he does throughout the entire book, because as we know, Ecclesiastes is a book of questions of which the rest of the Bible answers. What he is asking, what he is doing for us is he is exploring all that you and I desire under the sun. He is exploring. He is experimenting with. And then what he is doing after he explores it to 100%, he exploits the thing that we pursue after. He sheds light on it. Like the x-ray looking for the broken bone, he finds the brokenness within our own lives as he exploits the sin within our own hearts. Now while money is sung about, written about, and worked so hard for, we rarely ever ask, what's the point of all this? Right? We get so busy using it, so busy working for it, or singing about it, or wishing we had it, but what's the point of it all? What is the meaning of money? And even though money is morally neutral, Solomon is exploring and exploiting what happens when this amoral object comes into the hands of wicked men and sinners. What do we do with it? Our heart this morning is what Proverbs 3, 13 and 14 says. As we uncover and talk about money, blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain of her is better than gain from silver and her profit more than gold. Right now, I can't promise you that God is going to bless you financially. That if you gave to Shorebreak, God will give back to you 300-fold, and soon you'll be rolling up in your bends at church on Sunday morning. By no means. But through the word of God, we can learn truth far more valuable than gold and silver. That through the word, as we open the word this morning, you can learn truths about what God has said about money. And if anyone knows about money, it's Solomon, Right? In 1 Kings 3, 31, God declares that Solomon is the wealthiest king to ever live on the earth. Like, wealthiest king to ever live on the earth. And who were the wealthiest people at that time? Kings. They were. Some scholars say from going through uh, kings, looking at his income, his net worth would rival that of Mark Zuckerberg or Bill Gates. He would have been a multi-billionaire. Like Bill Gates, it would not have been worth his time if he dropped money to pick it up. He's so wealthy. So Solomon here isn't talking about something where he has no experience on. Oh no, he knows. 
And what he begins with in verse 8 is, if you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice at righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter, for the high official is watched by a higher, and yet there are higher ones over them. So what Solomon immediately begins with here is this idea of greed, that greed is blinding. That there is one high official who is supposed to be ruling and reigning over a certain place with justice, but then his boss is corrupt, and so he can get away with murder. And so he overtaxes people, and he messes with people, and he takes people's money, but the other boss doesn't care. And so one leader has another leader who has another leader, but it's all corrupt. And so no one is out to, to blow the whistle. No one is out to say, this is wrong, because everyone is in it for themselves. Everyone wants their own money. It's corruption. And the sad thing is, they're looking at it like it. Well, I'm just putting food on my table. I mean, I got to do what I got to do. Yet they don't see the corruption because they are blinded by their own greed. Greed is blinding. Greed is destructive. So destructive that even those in the justice system, when sucked and siphoned from the desire of money and greed, see it. There is no justice. There is no righteousness, even in the places where there is supposed to be righteousness. Because when we desire money so much, when we pursue it, when it becomes the reason we live and we wake up and we continue to do what we do, horrible things rise to the surface. Jesus said, it's not that a love of money is the root that leads to all kinds of evil. It is a root It's not wrong to like money. It's not wrong to work for money. Don't hear me. I'm not saying you all got to sell everything and quit your jobs and just hope that God provides. I'm not saying that. God has provided with your job. We'll get there in a little bit. But the love of money is a root, is a way that can lead to all sorts of evil. And we know that it does. That when we pursue it, that when we desire it, that when we love it, women will prostitute their bodies for money just to help pay the bills, or to get through school. And men will pay billions of dollars in the United States every year to support their addiction to pornography. So whether it be women selling their body or husbands working overtime, neglecting their own family, or the woman, not going to let you girls off the hook, who got the plastic and you swipe it like there's no tomorrow because the new blouse is out or the new sunglasses are in. Husbands, don't elbow your wives. Just don't get away with that. We live for money. And where does this passion and desire take us? This greed, where does it bring us? We'll look at verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income, for this is also vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their own but to them to see them with their eyes? He who loves money will not be satisfied. In the early 20th century, there was a wealthy man, many of you know, a John D. Rockefeller. When once questioned about how much money is enough, money, and he famously said, just a little bit more. And he's a billionaire. 
I think worth $1.1 billion or something like that. Here our preacher describes this love for money that could never satisfy us. And a lot of times we think, yeah, go ahead, preacher, keep bringing it. I don't love money. But the love for money is not just exclusively love for money. It is the love for materialism at large. So we're not just talking about money here, but we're talking about, well, maybe if I could just buy that, then. Or if I can just get the inheritance, or if I just got a bonus, or if I just got paid a little bit more, then all of my problems and the struggles that I'm going through right now would be fixed. See, no one here is immune to greed. We all have the desire for more money or, or, or more materialism in one way or another. And in Luke 12, 15, we read, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Okay, so take note here. In Luke 12, 15, Jesus just said, be on your guard against all covetousness. Meaning, be on your guard against all forms of greed. Some is for leadership and taking over land, as we just read in verses 8 and 9. Others, it could be money, possessions, materialism. Jesus is informing us that there are multiple manifestations of greed. And the word for greed or wanting there or desiring or coveting literally means wanting more. Having an eager desire for more gain. And here's the truth. Right now this morning, if you desire more money, if that is something you live for, you pursue after, love of money has no end. Because in greed, enough is never enough. Greed is like drinking salt water. The more you drink, the thirstier you become. It never satisfies and it only leaves you more dehydrated. And when we live eager for gain, when we live with a focus of wanting more and desiring more in one form or in one way or another, it does something drastic within all of us including myself. None of us are immune to this. What happens when we become ruled by love for wanting more of what we do not have is we think that if I get the raise, if I get the job, if I just graduate, or if they just said yes, or if I was able to buy that possession, then, then, And what happens when we live that way is we no longer live in the now, but we are always living in the future. And because your head is always in the future, you are never in the now. You're never here. Like, even though you could be here right now, you are not here right now. And you miss out on what amazing things God has already given to you today. And we're all guilty of it. No wonder we are dissatisfied people. And hear me out right now. You've got to hear me out this morning. Tomorrow will always be there. Now, I know some of you are, yeah, but tomorrow's promised to no man. I know. I know. But you don't live that way. Your IRA doesn't say that or the lack thereof, whatever it is. 
This idea of us always living in pursuit of what we do not have, we think, well, then when tomorrow comes, when I get the job or when I'm back with my family or when, when, when they come back from being overseas or when I get the raise or if I just get the house or if we just move up with... Then we think, and we're never living in the now, and you fail, and I fail to see what God has blessed us with right now. Tomorrow is always there, but this day, today, will not always be here. Today is today, and it will soon pass. Enjoy what God has given you now. Don't always be dreaming about what you could have. And I'm preaching to myself right now. And I think, man, if I just got a little bit more, and if I was just able to do this, and my schedule could just work out this way, and then, and then I fail to engage my kids the way that I could as their parent and as their dad, and I fail to love my, life, my wife the way that I should, the way the Bible calls me to, and to be a friend, well, it's always tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. No, 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 today. And in Philippians chapter 4, one of my favorite books of the entire Bible, verse 11, Paul says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. Do you notice he says there, he had learned. And listen, if the apostle Paul, as a Christian, saved by the grace of God, had to learn contentment, we need to learn contentment too. Because we ain't any better than Paul this morning. Contentment is not natural. Has to be learned. How does that happen? Philippians 4.13 I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And isn't that interesting that that verse, that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength, isn't that interesting that that is in context of having a lot of stuff and not having a lot of stuff? That God will supply and give you the strength in all circumstances, whether you have much or little, you can be content. If you're lonely, God will be there and he will strengthen you and he will give you contentment. If you are sick, I'm not saying he will supernaturally heal you, though he very well could, but he will supply you the strength to continue on the mission that he has you here. If you are in lack of financial need, God sees. He knows where you're at. And you can continue on to keep working, to keep pressing, to keep sweating, to keep moving forward because Christ strengthens you. You don't have to turn within your own self and rely on your own strength. Strength comes from Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Present tense. Notice that? Who is not strengthening me for tomorrow. No, Christ is strengthening us today. So church, let us be people who stop living always in tomorrow and live in the moment Because it is in Jesus, ultimately, you will find true contentment. It is in Jesus, you will find true satisfaction. But Solomon, he knows us well. Yeah, but what if I get the thing, right? What if I do get the raise? What if I do prosper and I do get the house or I do get this? And and then, what, what then? Well, 
he addresses that. Verse 11, when goods increase, they increase to eat them. But what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? And he goes on to say in verse 13, there is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he is nothing in his hand. He came from his mother's womb, and he shall go again. Naked he came, and he shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry with his hands. Okay, so now that you've gotten it, now that you've bought it, now what? He says, then you get to worry about it. Oh, you got the house? Okay. Going to pay those bills, huh? Property tax. Pay for the water. Got to cut the grass. I, I mean, if there's one thing I despise, it is yard work. I hate yard work. I lived in an apartment, and I hated yard work for most of my life. Like, that's, that's how sad I am. So when goods increase, so does the increase of our worry. Why? Because possession brings company, and that company is stress. The more stuff you have, Solomon says, the more stuff you have to take care of and the more stuff you have to worry about. That is why when you drove the island cruiser around town and you're cruising, like there's a parking spot in front of Target or Costco. It doesn't matter if there's like two inches on one side, three inches on the other side. You're pulling your big beast in there and you don't care about someone opening your doors and b- bumping the, the fenders or whatever because it's just a jacked up car, right? You don't care. But then you get the new car. And I've seen you, you park in the back of the parking lot. Like you take up two spots so no one parks on either side of you. Yeah, you get the new car, but then you have to worry about the new car where you had no stress with the island beater, but now you got your new thing. Oh, you got to worry about it. Can't spill in it. I remember when we bought our first nice espresso machine. I had nothing to worry about now. Every morning I could wake up and have coffee at my fingertips stress-free, right? Nirvana, no, wrong. The moment I got the machine, a couple of weeks after using it, it said descale. I'm like, what the heck does descale mean? So I have to go in the, 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 the manual. By the way, that's stressful alone because it's like a Bible. This thing is that thick. has a DVD tutorial on reading the manual. I'm not even kidding. And I'm looking. It's like, oh, you got to buy a descaler. Okay, great. Well, I'll just buy a descaler. Oh, no, you can't just buy any descaler. It's special order online. And it's like $1,000. Oh, great. I'm so happy. I got this machine now, right? And then you sit there and you got to turn the machine on. The machine has to warm up. You got to put the beans in. You got to do your thing. You got to clean the wine. You got to shut it down and be meticulous at it. And you got to worry about it. Gosh, can I just have a cup of coffee? That is what Solomon is saying. Not even worrying about his own caffeine intake, but worrying about all of his homes, his possessions, his 700 wives. This guy's got a lot of stress about, right? Woo, brother. He says, there is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept at their own hurt. See, Solomon here, this preacher, describes the person who tries to hold on to everything in life white-knuckled. But it's mine, and I want it, and I got the machine, and, and it, it does coffee for me. Yeah, you can hold on to white knuckles. It's going to break. My espresso machine is sitting in a box in my garage for the last six months. It's going to cost a couple hundred bucks to fix. 
So when you buy more stuff, it costs you more money. So can't, we can't hold on to our things white-knuckled. Riches were kept, verse 13, by, their, by the owner to his own hurt. This, this person here is a hoarder. He gets what he wants, and he worries about it. But in one bad decision and one bad venture, everything he has worked so hard for, he says, can just disappear. Oh, you put everything there? Well, what happens if that tanks? You invested in that property, you put in the stock market, you're, you're going to place your hope in that? Money brings no guarantees. And even if you're okay, because some of you are like, yeah, but I mean, I'm, my investment is it's diversified, and I got my eggs in the specs, this one, this one, and I got property, I got this, I'm going to be fine, even if the economy tanks. Well, Solomon also says, yeah, but guess what? Naked you came, and naked you're going to go. You can't take any of it with you anyways. You're going to die. You can't keep it. Money brings no guarantee. So now we make our way to verse 6 of ch- uh, chapter 6, verse 1. What does he say about all this? This is an evil that I have seen under the sun. And it lies heavily on mankind. When you hear that wisdom, it does, doesn't it? <laughs> a man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that is he desires. Yet, God does not give him, guys, check this out, God does not give him the power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. So not only are the good things we get in life from God, did you know that James 1.17 says that every good, guys, every good and perfect gift comes from God? So not only do all the great things, I'm, I'm non-Christian too, non-Christian too, it's called common grace. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Not only is that true, but our ability to enjoy the great things we have in life also comes from God. Which means that you can have everything you could possibly want in your life and still be miserable because God has not given you the capacity to enjoy what he gave you. Wow. Going back to John D. Rockefeller, $1.1 million, so sick, so physically broken down. When he asked for a cup of coffee, a couple drops would be given to him. For breakfast, he could only eat one or two bites of whatever was placed in front of him. He couldn't enjoy what he had. He had $1.1 billion, and he couldn't drink eight ounces of coffee. I was with some friends um, when I was, uh, some friends that I grew up with when we had gotten older. um, They just bought a new house, and so they invited us over, and they were pretty well off, and so they're giving us a tour of their home uh, that they own in Southern California, like right on the beach. And, I mean, this house was incredible. I mean, it was right next to, like, the, the Western White House there um, in, in, in Orange County, and it was just in this beautiful neighborhood, gated, super nice. And so where I'm kind of cruising, kind of walking around with them, and they're showing, they're showing us this house, and it had something like seven bathrooms, I'm not even, seven bathrooms. 
And I remember them giving us this tour, and they're walking us around this home. Oh, look, this, this artifact is from ancient Egypt during Pharaoh's time. I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's amazing. That's pretty cool. And then they go, and here's our private home theater room with large screen TVs and seats that can warm and cool and keep your beverage in there, and, and you, you can do all this. And, and then, oh, we have a reading room upstairs that is a, the, the most perfect panoramic, you know, 357-degree ocean view or whatever it is, and just all of these crazy things in their home and then they're like showing it start and then oh here's this bathroom and then here's this bathroom now I've been raised to whenever if we ever visited someone in my family uh to um compliment and say yeah your home is nice but not to over compliment but also not to be like wow you must be like racking the dough man you must be so rich how much money you have and so they kind of gave me that discretion so I knew better not to do that but they never told me to say anything negative and so I'm, you know, punk 16-year-old teenager touring my friend's house, and, and I asked the parents, I was like, oh, here's bathroom number six, and the mom's like, and here's bathroom number seven. I was like, what are you going to do with all those bathrooms? Seriously. And she looked at me kind of appalled. I was like, have you even tried using two bathrooms at the same time? Like, it doesn't work. And she looked at me and was absolutely, and my soul was like, vanity, so stupid. I mean, you could use every bathroom I mean, you have enough bathrooms, you don't even have to use the same bathroom within one week's worth of time. <sighs> like, use two of them at the same time. Good luck with that. But seven, come on! <sighs> you can't enjoy seven bathrooms even if you wanted to. <sighs> but even with one... Who cares if it has marble on the toilet? I'm not going to go any further, all right? For my own comfort. Woo! It's getting hot in here, guys. If God decides you can enjoy all that you've acquired, then you can enjoy it. But if God decides, I'm going to give you everything, and then you're going to get everything you want so that you will be miserable... He does that in his grace so that you will come to the end of yourself so that you will realize everything you are living for is meaningless and everything you desire in life can be found in Jesus. You don't have to look anywhere else. Seven bathrooms, three bathrooms, two bedroom, 20 bedroom, raise, bonus. No, Jesus. It is in Jesus we can find true satisfaction. Some of you are thinking, because you're man-centered theology, saying, I love you, but no. Well, that's not fair. Really? He gave you everything you have to begin with. He's God. He can do whatever he wants. Who are we, his creation, to say to, say to the potter, oh, yeah, no, you can do this and that. No. It doesn't work that way. Verse 3 of chapter 6. If a man's father, if a man fathers a hundred children, pray for that man. That's what you do. <laughs> wow. It's his point though. And lives, which is Solomon actually. It's probably Solomon. He's talking about himself here. And lives for many years so that the days of his years are many. But his soul is not satisfied with life's good things. And he also has no burial. I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. Why? For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun, nor knows anything, yet finds rest rather than he. 
even though you should live a thousand years twice over, enjoy it, enjoy, enjoy no good, do not all go to one place. All the toil of man is from his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. See, the preacher here is describing all the abundance of life, yet all the emptiness that brings. That is to say that we should never wish, rush, and to desire to want what others have. You might look at their marriage, you might look at their home, you might look at their car like, wow, you probably don't want that car payment. Are you sure you want to pay all the bills? Are you sure you want that own, that, all that stress? And we so quickly rationalize our greed to the point where none of us think we're greedy and lovers of money. And I've prayed for a lot of people in my short lifetime being in ministry. And I've prayed for people who struggle with sexual sin. I've prayed for people who struggle with lying, with people who struggle with, with, with lust, with people who struggle with anger or marriage issues. But I've honestly, I cannot recall ever praying for someone who's come up at the end of a service like, hey, I'm a greedy person. Can you pray for me? So what does that tell us? that when we read greed here in the text, we apply that to everyone else that we know except for ourselves. And Solomon says, no, 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 you're the greedy person. You struggle with greed. I struggle with greed. And when it comes to wanting other people's possessions, what makes you think they are better off than you? What makes you think they don't have their own problems? Solomon says in verse 6 that even with all that they have, instead of just living maybe a 90-year life, that if they lived 1,000 years twice over, so if they lived for 2,000 years, and maybe if they just had more time to enjoy everything that God gave them, then they can enjoy the things. And Solomon says, no, they can't. It's still vanity. That they could live their life for 2,000 years and still never be able to enjoy it. I do have to say this. I notice Solomon here never throws possessions under the bus. He doesn't do that. And you guys, I'm not saying it's wrong to want some of these things. Possessions are not a sin. But if your possessions possess you, it is a sin. It's not wrong to like money. But when it comes to money, if you love it, it is wrong. It is a sin. Because the love of money is a root that leads to all kinds of evil. Do you worship money as God or do you worship God with your money? The Bible says we can only serve one master. And it's in context talking about money. And this is so important because Jesus talked about money in his ministry more than heaven, more than hell, and more than anything else in his ministry. In fact, 25% of what Jesus said, things that came out of his mouth, had to do with stewardship and finances and money. Why? Jesus said in Matthew 6, and I think one of the most epic sermons ever preached, he says, do not lay... Up for yourselves, treasures in heaven where moth and rust destroy, where thieves can come and break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroy, where, where thieves cannot break in. For where your 
treasure is, there your heart will be also. Money is not the problem today for us. Our heart is the problem. And Jesus said the way that we view and use money exposes the vitality, the health of our own soul. If you trust in money, if you hope in possessions for happiness, if you are obsessively evaluating how much you have and how much more you need, if you think you can solve much of the problems of your life, greed is the symptom in your life that money is in fact your God. So we aren't talking about right now being rich or poor, prosperity or poverty. We are talking about worship. And you can know what you worship this morning by what you do with your wallet. And you might think, really? Jesus, did he not say, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your money goes, your heart follows you there. Your wallet or purse and your heart are locked together. And following Your money, our money, will reveal our idols. So, what are the idols? No one can say, I love my wife and not ever provide for her. Timothy says he is worse than an infidel. If I said I love my kids but never spent a dime on anything for them, I didn't spend money on toys, you know, I didn't spend money on any of these other things, well, you know, do I really love them? See, it's not about how much or little you have in life, but it's the fact that, that, that you are Jesus's and you belong to him and you should worship him with what you have. Ecclesiastes is inviting you and I this morning to ask ourselves, what are we doing with our money and is money our God? If money is our God, let us repent. We all struggle with it, including myself. We become obsessed by it. But don't be obsessed with it. And if God has given you great things, live in today and enjoy it. And don't think, well, if I get the new board or if I get the new car, if I get then I can really enjoy it. No, no, no. We just read here in our text that it is better for you to enjoy what you can see instead of Letting you follow the appetite of your soul, which will always leave you hungering what you do not have. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And in closing here, I want you to meditate on this. In in chapter 5, verses 18 to 20. Chapter 5, verses 18 to 20. God is mentioned four times when it comes to money. Because God is seen as the main object of worship And all that we have been given is simply on loan to us till we die. Church, 10% is not God's, and then, oh, then 90% is ours. 100% is God's. And he's allowed us to have what we have. And when we die, we don't take it with us. And he gives us the ability to enjoy it. 
And know this, according to Solomon, what he's saying here, that even more than money, which is a gift from God, our entire life is a gift from God. And when it comes to living a generous life, when it comes to not being a greedy person, Jesus is less greedy than any of us will ever be. Because not only did he leave the wealth that he had in heaven, come on, God is wealthy, like wealthy, everything is his, yet he leaves paradise and perfection in his glorious kingdom and heaven and comes to this broken earth as a sinful man living poor. Jesus gave it all so that we could give all that we have back to him. Worship God with what you have been given. Your money can be a weapon or your money can be a tool. It can be used to advance the gospel. It can be used to help a single mom. It can be used to help a family in need. But please do not worship it as God, but worship money with, worship your money because you love God. I mean, sorry, wow. (laughs) Let's just pretend like that never happened. That just totally just debunks everything we just said the last hour. Yeah, exactly, right? Amen, brother. Worship a God and let your money do the talking, though. Do you love God? Well, your checkbook would reveal that. And I'm not just talking about, all right, now give 20% to short rank. Wink, wink. No. Sure, absolutely. Support the church, the local church. Yes and amen. But I'm also talking about, what about the poor, the widows, the needy, the orphans? We should be able to, it should be evidence in our own life. If there is one object in all of life that will make us happy, it is not money, but may we come to a place and trusting in Jesus who gives us true meaning and does not leave us vain and greedy as money does. I want to ask you this morning, receive the gift, the best gift, the most generous gift of Jesus, of the gospel, of God giving himself for you so that you would come to have eternal life. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we've had in your word to talk about what you say about money. And maybe some of us this morning have heard and we've been convicted that we do, in fact, live a greedy life. That our life is a long, terrible story of trying to find something other than you that will make us happy. May we come to a place this morning through the power of your Holy Spirit drawing us to Jesus. Jesus, may we realize that we can truly be satisfied in and through you. And may we use money as a tool to worship you and not ourselves. May we lay down our greed and may we be a generous people for your glory. And this morning, if there are those of you who have sat in church and you have heard the message, you've heard the word of God, and you have not placed your faith and your trust in Jesus, and the Holy Spirit has illuminated your sin, and you look at your own life, not because of even what you've done with your money, but because of your own heart. Maybe money is, was your God this morning, but Jesus is now the God and Lord and King and Savior of your life. If that is you, the Bible says, confess your sin. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. 
If that is you, just go ahead and raise up your hand this morning. I know many of you, some of, many of you I do not know. Just go ahead and raise your hand up in the air if that is what God is doing in your life so I can just pray for you. I see your hand, God bless you. And I see your hand, God bless you. What you're not saying is raising your hand does not save you at all. What you're saying is God has shown you your true God, which is money, and he's revealed himself to you, and you realize your idolatry. Lord, for those who raise their hands, God, I pray for them. I pray that whether it be greed or shopping or stuff or cars or just the material things of this world that have siphoned their soul to the point of emptiness, that they would realize that godliness with contentment is great gain. Confess your sin to Jesus this morning if that is you. Believe in Jesus. God, thank you for what you're doing in our midst. Thank you for the love that you have shown and that you've given us that while we were still sinners, you died for us. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for your generosity towards us. Amen. We hope that Jesus is doing a work in your life from the message that you just heard. We would love to hear how you were impacted and what was impressed on your heart. Share your story by emailing connect at shorebreakchurch.com. And if you don't know Jesus as God, Lord and Savior, or you have more questions, send us an email to info at shorebreakchurch.com so we can get you dialed in with a free Bible and resources for your new relationship with Jesus.